Today, we are in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Follow along as I read. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. I think a lot of us are more familiar with the way the King James Version puts this, where it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. The title of the message today is Reactionary versus Visionary. And let's pray and then we'll jump into this. Lord, we come to you today. You who are on the throne, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And Lord, I pray today that we, that you would teach us, that you would show us what it looks like and how to be people of vision versus people of reaction. Lord, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would bless our time in the Word, that you would meet us here in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a world today where temperature checks are becoming the normal thing. You have to get your temperature checked in order to go into the doctor's office or the dental office or into the hospital. Some places of employment, you have to get your temperature checked to go into work on any given day. Well, today we want to do what I would call a spiritual temperature check. How is your spiritual and emotional temperature today? I think it's been a hard week this week. As we've been watching and reading about the scene happening there in Afghanistan. And I think it's safe to say that our government really, really botched that one. And now we see the innocent people that are suffering. Christians who are in grave danger because of the rising up in power of the Taliban. I know my heart has been greatly grieved over the past few months in in seeing just story after story of pastors and Christian leaders um, being exposed for engaging in sexual sin. And I find it aggravating and just watching and seeing how young people today, many of them, because of seeing these leaders, you know, living these hypocritical kind of lives are turning from the church and many of them are turning from the faith. And then, of course, we have the mounting frustrations that are happening in our world because many employers and many schools across America are requiring people to take the COVID vaccine shot. Now, I want to just say, it really doesn't matter what your personal preference is about the vaccine and about the the shot. I know that many are divided on that issue, but I think we all can agree on this, that no government, no employer, no school should be able to force people to inject something into their body that they are not comfortable with. I think we all can agree on that. Now, by the way, I have been asked recently by several people if the COVID vaccine is the mark of the beast. 
And the answer to that question is no. The mark of the beast is something that the book of Revelation teaches is going to happen during the Great Tribulation when a man named the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and he is going to invoke that everybody on planet Earth take this personal identification mark. It's going to be a mark of some kind. It might be a tattoo. It might be a a, a chip put underneath the skin. And the purpose of it is going to be twofold. Number one, it's a person's knowledgeable way of pledging their allegiance to the Antichrist and his government. That's the first thing. And the second thing, the second purpose, is it will be the only way that people will be able to buy and sell and get provisions is they're going to have to have this mark in order to survive. Now, the COVID vaccine is different from that. However, the mandating and the pushing of this vaccine worldwide is really the setup It's the setup for what is going to be happening in the world during the time of the Great Tribulation. It's the precursor. You see, today when you have to show proof of your vaccination to get into certain countries or hospitals or establishments, all of that is the primer. It's the setup of our world for a day that the Bible says where those who are going to be left on planet earth after the rapture of the church. What's the rapture you say? The rapture is when Jesus is going to come. The Bible talks about this. Not to this earth, but to the clouds. A trumpet is going to sound, and all the Christians on planet earth are suddenly going to vanish. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. He's going to take us to heaven. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, it'll be like this. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it'll be like, now you see us, now you don't. And we're looking forward to that day. Amen? Those who are going to be left behind will be mandated to take this mark in order to survive. And this is what we need to understand. What we have seen happen here on planet Earth in the last 18 months is the setup. It's the precursor. It's pointing us in the direction of what is going to be happening in the tribulation time. You know, I used to read the book of Revelation. I used to, to scratch my head and, and wonder, okay, how is this going to happen where all the nations, with all the egotistical leaders, you know, of countries in our world today, how is, are all of them going to come together under the leadership of one guy that the Bible calls the Antichrist? That just seemed far-fetched until 2020 happened where we saw the whole world basically come together and get on the same page and lock down their countries because of this pandemic. And I used to think, and how are people going to take some mark? I mean, that just seems kind of weird. Until today, where we see every single day, you know, advertisements and pressure and, you know, people you know, telling us that we need to take this vaccine. And again, you know, 
doesn't matter what you think about that, but this idea that we're going to force you to do that, it's a precursor, it's a setup, it's an indication of the signs of the times, that we are living in those days that's moving us toward that day, those times that are going to happen when the Antichrist comes on the scene. So as you see these type of issues mounting, here's my question for you. What is happening to your spiritual and emotional temperature? That's what I want to talk about today. You see, people generally fall into one of two categories. First of all, there are the reactionaries. The reactionary is the individual who reacts to a situation, circumstance, or they react to what is going on. Reactionaries are like a thermometer that registers the temperature of the room or it registers the temperature of the situation or the circumstance. It registers that it's too hot and they're agitated, they're frustrated, they're, they're hot, or it's too cold, they're indifferent, or it's just right and they're really, really happy. So first of all, you have the reactionaries, those who are always quick to react to what's going on, and they're people who are just up and down and all around. But then you have the visionary. The visionary relies on revelation. They're not reacting to circumstances and situations. You see, the visionary is like a thermostat that sets the temperature of the room the situation, or the circumstance. The reactionary, oh, they're like a thermometer. They're just registering the temperature of the situation or the circumstance. But the the visionary is like a thermostat that regulates the temperature of the room or the situation or the circumstance that the visionary is able to speak life and to bring life into the situation. As we look back at our text, in the King James Version, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. The Christian Standard Bible puts it this way, without revelation, people run wild. In other words, they're just all over the place, responding emotionally to everything, and they often leave a wake of chaos behind them, and people get hurt. Today, I want us to consider a guy in the Bible who was a reactionary who we see becomes a visionary. His name is Peter. He's a guy that I really identify with a lot in Scripture because I too, I think, was in my younger days more reactionary and hopefully now I am moving to be more visionary. But I want you to turn now to John chapter 18 where we're going to see a time in Peter's life where he reacts. John chapter 18. In fact, before we look at that example, I want to just mention two others. I could talk all day about how Peter reacted to things, but there was that time in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and it's there that they see Jesus in an aspect of his glory. You see, Jesus was the God-man, fully God and fully man, and yet his deity, his glory, was sort of concealed in his humanity. 
His glory was concealed in his humanity, that they, they didn't really see it. But on this particular day, they got a glimpse because on that mountain, Jesus is there and suddenly Moses and Elijah appear with him and Jesus starts to shine like the sun. The glory that was inside of him began to be manifested on the outside of him. And this is Peter's reaction. Peter got excited. Peter was like, this is awesome. Let me build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. That was his reaction. It was one of excitement, and rightly so. But then all of a sudden, in that moment, we hear the voice of God the Father who says, this is my beloved son, Jesus. Listen to him. In other words, Peter, this is not a time to react. It's not a time to do anything. It's a time to pause, to wait, and to listen. And then there was that time when Jesus, shortly after this, is telling his disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem where he would be arrested and killed. Peter's reaction is one of consternation. He literally pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. He says to Jesus, hey, you shouldn't talk like that. You're killing the momentum, man. Everything's going great right now. And this kind of talk, you're killing the momentum. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. That's not what you want to have Jesus say to you, right? (laughs) To call you Satan and get behind me. Well, here in John chapter 18, we see another example of Peter being reactionary. It's the night of Jesus' betrayal and arrest. And we read this in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. And then Judas, having received a detachment of troops, now a detachment was anywhere between 50 to 500, so this is quite a group of people, and officers of the chief priests and the Pharisees came with their lanterns, torches, and weapons. And Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now picture that. Here comes this group. They've got their weapons, their torches, they're agitated. And Jesus is like, who are you guys looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. Well, I'm he. They all fall over. Just by the power of his presence and his voice. They just all not, I mean, talk about being slain in the spirit. I mean, they are just knocked over, man. Imagine that. Imagine how crazy it was for them. Notice what it says, the end of verse 7. Or in verse 7, then they asked him again. Or then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? Now, I think it was a lot more cautious this time. Whom are you seeking? They're like, uh, Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus answered, verse 8, and said, I have told you that I am he, therefore if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. 
And then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. And so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? And so here we see Peter who just hours before, when Jesus was with his disciples in that upper room, he said, hey guys, I just want you to know, all of you are going to forsake me tonight. And Peter stands up and says, not me, Lord. The rest of these losers, they might forsake you, but not me, I'm ready to die for you. And here we see Peter is seeking to live up to that pledge. He whips out his sword swings it, and chops off a guy's ear. Now, it's interesting to me that none of the other disciples, or excuse me, none of the other gospel writers, when they they write of this scene, none of them name Peter. They just say, one of the disciples. It's only John that names Peter. And it seems like there was a rivalry between John and Peter. Like when John writes about the resurrection and how, you know, he says, and Peter and I ran to the tomb. And then he has, but because I was younger, I got there first. (laughs) It's like this little rivalry between these two guys. So none of the other gospel writers name Peter, but, but John does. He names Peter and Peter reacts takes out his sword, chops off this guy's ear, and Jesus says to Peter, no, Peter, no, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Here's what Jesus is saying. He's telling us that Peter's reaction here was so far outside of the will of God and the plan of God. But think about this. What was happening to Jesus made no sense to Peter. Judas betraying him. The soldiers coming to arrest Jesus. That made no sense to Peter. And so Peter's like, I'm going to protect Jesus. And he whips out his sword. But here's what Peter didn't realize. What was happening to Jesus was exactly in line with the will of God and the plan of God. In fact, it had to happen for the greater good to be accomplished. It was the cup that the Father had given to Jesus to drink. The cup of the cross, because it would be through Jesus going to the cross that sinners like you and I could be saved. That people who were far from God would be brought near to God because Jesus was coming to pay the price for our sins. It made no sense to Peter, but it was perfectly in line with the will of God and the plan of God. Now I wonder, I wonder how many times in our lives we react to something that is happening and we think this cannot be the will of God. Example, for a lot of Christians, when the previous presidential election turned out the way that it did, a lot of Christians were like, this cannot be the plan of God. This cannot be the will of God. We've got to help God out. I ask you this question. When the election happened, was Jesus still on the throne? Or was Jesus like, How did that happen? (laughs) Who botched the election? 
No. Jesus was on the throne, in control. Didn't make sense to a lot of us. But our king knows what he is doing. But so often, like Peter, we think, God needs my help, and we end up lashing out and hurting someone by our reaction. But God doesn't need our help in the same way that Jesus didn't need Peter's help. In fact, I love the way Matthew, the insight that he brings to this story. In Matthew 26, verse 52, it'll be on the screen. It says, put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Peter, put away your sword. Don't you understand? I could call down thousands of angels to come and protect me. Peter, I don't need your help. Why? Because what was happening was in line with the plan and the purpose of his father. And so too in our lives, oftentimes what is happening is totally in line with the will of God and the plan of God, even when it doesn't make sense to us. That's why I love Isaiah 55 or Satan 9 where it says this, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You see, when we see these crazy things happening in our world, and oftentimes we think, man, can it get any worse? And the answer is yes. It's actually going to get worse. Tribulation is going to be a time, the Bible says, that unless those days were shortened, no flesh would even survive. There are some dark, dark days coming for this planet. And the people on planet Earth that don't know Jesus. So guys, don't get worked up. Don't get overheated. Don't get filled with, with fear. Realize everything that we're seeing right now are signs of the times. They're birth pains. What the Bible says would be happening, leading up to the coming of Jesus. Things are just moving in the direction that the Bible said that they would be moving in. And things that at one time were a mystery to us, like I said about how people are all going to come together under one world leader, we, we just see, man, the, the stage is being set. Things are moving into place. So don't get worked up. But unfortunately, what I see happening today is a lot of Christians who are simply just reacting to what's happening. And their spiritual temperature that they're registering is one of anger and frustration and division. And sometimes when I listen to some of the Christians here in America, I think, what are they advocating? Because it feels like some of them are advocating civil war. That's what they want to see happening. Don't get worked up. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says this. 
reckless words pierce like a sword. And a lot of reactionary Christians right now are being reckless with their words and they're piercing others, shooting off their mouths, and even some of them using this sword, the sword of the Spirit that we call the Bible, but using it out of context to lay into others. And what what they're doing oftentimes is sharing things that are off point and are just filling people with fear and frustration and hatred. People like that are really, really good at being thermometers. Really, really good at like, man, things are getting hot. Things are getting bad. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. But Proverbs 12, 18 also says, it doesn't just say reckless words pierce like a sword. It also says, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And those who are visionaries, they don't just look at the situation and say, man, this is bad or this is horrible. They're wise. And because of that, they're able to speak life into a situation. They're people who have answers. Remember Jesus told his disciples that they were salt, the salt of the earth. And when he said that to them, that also applies to us. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, he says, you guys are the salt of the earth. Now, in that first century culture, salt had three main uses. It was used like we use it today to enhance the flavor of food. How many of you here like salt on their food? I like salt way too much. (laughs) It was also used to preserve meat. They didn't have refrigeration in those days, so they would take meat and they would pack meat or fish into salt when they were transporting it so that it wouldn't spoil. And then it was also used medicinally. They would put salt on open wounds. And so when Jesus told his disciples that they were the salt of the earth, he had all of those things in mind. He was basically saying you are to be that element in society that that preserves righteousness. And that's what he says to us. How do we do that? Well, we we do that by voting for the right things and the right people that go in line with the, the word of God. We do that by getting involved on school boards or in in city council so that we can have a voice about things that are important to God. Those are ways that we can have a preserving influence in our society. But when he says that we're the salt of the earth, it also meant that we are to be a healing element in society. That in the midst of the hurt going on, our words can bring healing. Our attitudes and perspectives can be a game changer. It can actually be like a healing ointment on an open wound. And we are to be a flavor-enhancing aspect in our culture by the way that we live. That our lives can actually diffuse Difficult situations. As we're seeking to live the way that we've been talking about that Jesus lived, that he was full of grace and truth. As we do that, we can have that flavor enhancing effect upon our society. That Paul said that we should speak the truth, but we speak it in love. We don't shrink back from it, but but we're loving in the way that we deliver it. And we realize that the people that we're talking to, so many of them, they're just lost. And we have compassion on the way that Jesus did because they're like sheep without a shepherd. It's interesting to me in Luke's gospel, 
his account of this scene in John chapter 18. He, he tells us something that, that John doesn't. But when Peter chopped off the ear of Malchus, and I want you to picture that for a minute. Something this guy's ear goes flying off the side of his face. Blood is just going everywhere. He's grabbing his head like this. He's probably screaming, my ear, my ear, he cut off my ear. People there are probably yelling, arrest Peter too. We'll arrest him for assault. Talk about a tense, reactionary situation. Jesus is perfectly calm. You know what he does? He reaches down, picks up the ear, Puts it back on the side of Malchus's head. The blood stops. He's completely healed. The sign of the assault can gone. Completely removed. Arrest Peter for assault. What did he do? He cut off my ears. My ear. Which one? They're both there. Jesus' last miracle is covering the blunder of Peter. Jesus just diffusing that situation. Can we do that? Can we diffuse a situation and bring healing? I think we absolutely can by our attitude, by our countenance, by the way that we come into situations that are just full of chaos and strife. Jesus tells Peter, put away your sword. And Peter does. Now, this guy, Peter, who was always reacting, and many times reacting in his flesh, reacting in his emotion, Peter becomes a visionary. And I want to show you that by having you turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. A few pages over. Acts is for you don't know. It's the next book in your Bible. Acts chapter 10. At this point in the history of the church, the gospel was primarily spreading only in Jewish circles. It hadn't yet gone to the Gentiles, but that was all about to change. And it happens here in this moment where Peter becomes a visionary. Look at verse 9. The next day as they went on their journey, they drew near the city, and Peter went up on a housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour was lunchtime. It's a busy time. So all these people are down in the bottom of the house getting lunch ready, and Peter gets away by himself. He goes up on this rooftop patio that they had in those houses there in the Middle East. And he goes up where, where he can be in a place where he has a, a quiet time and a quiet place to quiet his heart, and something radical happens. Look at verse 10. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and birds of the air. Now, these were all animals that were traditionally and ceremonially unclean for the Jewish people to eat. Verse 13. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. Now that right there is an oxymoron. Two ideas that that don't belong together. Not so and Lord. You don't say Lord and no, right? If he's Lord, you say, yes, sir. But here we see Peter responding, saying, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again a second time and said, what God has cleansed, you you must not call common. And this was done three times, and the object was taken back up into heaven. Now, here's what Peter didn't realize that we understand by reading the beginning of the chapter, is there was a man, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, by the name of Cornelius. 
Cornelius believed in God. He was seeking God, but he didn't know about Jesus. And in a time of prayer, God appears to him and told him, send men to the city of Joppa, to the house of Simon the Tanner, and you're going to find a guy there by the name of Peter. Ask him to come to your house, and I'll show him what he, what he needs to do. And so when Peter here is having this vision, this is what God's doing. God's showing. God says, and don't call unclean what, what I say isn't unclean. You see, the Jews had the tendency to look at the Gentiles and say, they're unclean. Those are heathen dogs. And God was about to do something where he was going to use Peter to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to these Gentiles, and they were going to get saved. They were going to come to faith in Christ. So Peter comes out of his vision. God tells him there's going to be men knocking at the door. Go with them. And I'll show you what to do. Peter comes out of his vision. These guys start are knocking on the door. He comes down. And he's like, I'm supposed to go with them. He goes and he comes to the house of Cornelius and he talks to them about Jesus and they all get saved and the Holy Spirit falls upon all of them. And it's the beginning of the gospel going to the Gentiles. And we learn something from these two stories. And we learn this. Reactionaries often hurt others, whereas visionaries save others reactionaries lash out where visionaries reach out. So here's the question. How can we move from being those who are reactionaries to those who are being visionaries? I want to give you three ideas, three things. Number one, the first, is we need preparation for vision. We need to do what we see Peter doing here. We need to find a quiet place where we can have a quiet time and quiet our heart from all the noise going on around us so that we can hear the voice of God, so that we can go to a place where we can be still and know that He is God. We see this in the life of the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk was looking at everything going on around him. He's looking at everything horizontally, and and it was frustrating to him. He was confused, and he's crying out. He says, how long, Lord? How long is this going to go on? How many of us have said that recently, right? Lord, how long? How much longer? And the Lord tells Habakkuk to go up to the tower. And it's there in the tower, in this quiet place, where he can have a quiet time and quiet his heart, God gives him a vision. And he says, I want you to write this vision and make it plain so that those who read it may run with it. So vision happens when we step back and we don't get all caught up in the emotion of the situation. And we step back and find that quiet place and we quiet our hearts. And I think this is something that we should be doing regularly so that we can get the right perspective and we hear the voice of God. You want to stop running wild? You want direction for you and your family? It starts with preparing yourself to receive vision. Getting alone with God. The second thing that's vitally important is then to seek confirmation of that vision. Now, Peter's confirmation comes because three guys knock at the door, just like God said that they were going to do. For you and I, that confirmation has to come from God's word. That the vision that we get from God can't be something that, that is, is contradicts what God says in his word. It's always going to match what God says in his word. The confirmation also would come from trusted friends. 
and trusted leaders, mentors in our life that we can come and say, hey, I feel like God is telling me this. What do you think? And they can pray on it and look at Scripture with you about it. I know oftentimes for me and our leadership team at the church, I'll share with these guys, I'll say, hey, this is something I feel like God is, is speaking to my heart about for our church. Can you guys pray with me on this? And so often they'll, they'll take my vision that's like this and they'll expand it. Or sometimes they'll say, no, I don't think that's the Lord at all. When I've got six or seven or eight or nine guys going, okay, telling me the same thing. It's like, okay, that must have been the pizza I ate last night. That wasn't the Lord at all, you know? Okay, great. Awesome, guys. Thank you. See, confirmation of the vision. If you are married, your spouse should be a part of that confirmation. You're not just doing some crazy thing. Your wife shouldn't come home one day and have you say, babe, just want you to know, I sold the house and we're moving to New Zealand. No, no, no. You want to pray about things like that, talk about things like that, seek confirmation together. And then once you get that confirmation, here's the third thing, is responding rightly to the illumination that comes through vision. Because you see, God might show you something that doesn't make sense to you, like he does with Peter here. He says to Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, not so. No, 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 I can't do that. But this was perfectly in line with the plan of God. And so when God gives us the confirmation, even though it might not make sense to us, what he is saying? We need to embrace it and walk in it. Instead of saying, not so, Lord, we need to say, yes, sir, Lord. And here I go. And when we do that, it opens up the door for Holy Spirit breakthrough to happen in our lives. And I think God is ready to just blow our minds with what he wants to do. So you want to be a visionary instead of a reactionary? Can I encourage you? Begin to take time to prepare your heart to receive vision. Seek confirmation of that vision and then respond rightly to the illumination of the vision when God gives it to you. Now, as we close, I want, you to, ask you, I want to ask you this question. What does a thermostat do to a thermometer? It impacts it, right? On a hot summer day, you can come into this room and it can be... The temperature in here registering can be 90 degrees and it's hot and humid. And then Pastor Steve goes and starts setting the thermostat, drops, you know, sets it all, all the thermostats down to 70. And suddenly in a half an hour, this room is just cool and comfortable. That's, that's what a thermostat does to a thermometer. And that's the effect that your life can have, have on a world that is getting more and more worked up where people all around us are being filled with fear and frustration, if we are going to be salt, we must be seen as being different from that. And part of the reason is this, is because we know where all of this is headed. We know that it's not about governments. It's not even about presidents, as important as those things can be. But what it's really about is a king, Jesus who is still on the throne, whose kingdom right now is advancing and moving and working. In fact, do you know 
what country right now where the church of Jesus Christ is growing the fastest? It's in Iran. Where it's illegal to be a Christian. Yet God's kingdom is advancing and moving and people by the thousands there are giving their lives to Jesus. Yeah. Do you know what country right now is second? Fastest growing church in the country? It's Afghanistan. Where all this craziness is happening. And people there, again, by the thousands, are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and we know, we look now, it's horrible and tragic what is happening there. But if more people end up coming to Jesus because they're looking and comparing, like, okay, we have the Taliban over here who are insane and evil and crazy, and then we have Jesus, I, I think I'll pick Jesus. That's all a part of God's plan. See, Peter tells us so clearly that the only reason why we're still here right now is because God desires that none would perish, but that all would come to salvation. And so he's moving and working, and even in the midst of these difficult situations where we see the depravity of man in a heightened way, God's plan of bringing people into his kingdom, even those who are going to lose their lives, is being unfolded. Because that's what it's all about. I'll close with this. You know, when the Titanic hit the iceberg, it took two and a half hours for the boat to sink. And as the warning cries went out, to get off the boat. Many of the first passengers that were in the first class cabins didn't believe the warning cries. They're like, this boat can't sink. In fact, some even said, not even God couldn't sink the Titanic. So the warning cries went out and they saw them as false warnings. And they stayed on the boat and 1,500 people lost their lives. Guys, the thing that we need to understand is that the boat that we're on, called this world, it's sinking. It's going to sink. Things are going to get worse, not better. And our job as salt and light and followers of Jesus is to get as many people as we possibly can into the lifeboat of salvation called Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we're called to. That's what this is all about. So we desperately need to be visionaries who understand the times that we are living in, who understand the direction that things are moving in. And yes, I believe clearly that the Bible teaches that before the great tribulation happens, that Jesus has taken us all out of here because he says about his church that we're not appointed unto wrath. And that's what the tribulation is when God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. But we can't just be satisfied. Well, it's not my problem. I'm out of here. 
At least I got on the lifeboat. Too bad for those people on the boat that still drowned. No, no, no. We need to have a heart that says, God's heart. And the whole reason why we're still waiting is he wants people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't know. Maybe there's going to be a, a, a day when the last person says, yes, I, I want Jesus, and boom, we're out of here. And maybe you're that person, if you don't know Jesus, and you're holding this whole thing up, would you please <laughs> today just say yes to Jesus? All right? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we rejoice, Lord, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you are the one who is still on the throne. And even though so many of the things happening in our world today don't make sense to us, we know that it's all a part of your plan. That our world is moving towards and being orchestrated towards a direction that you have laid out will be happening in the last days. And Lord, I pray for all of us here that we would be salt in each one of our spheres of influence. That our lives would be that flavor enhancing, that healing and preserving effect upon our culture. That Lord, you would show us what that looks like. And I pray, God, that we would not be those that just get all caught up in being reactionary and just getting frustrated and fearful and agitated and angry. And, but that we would be those that would bring life into the midst of the chaos. And we would be those that could introduce people who are on the boat that's perishing to Jesus, the life preserver. With our head bowed, our eyes closed, if you're here today and you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, or maybe you did it one time and you've walked away from Him and, and you realize, man, I, 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 I'm not ready. I'm not right with God. I want to encourage you today. You can simply open up your heart to the Lord today by just calling out to Him. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it's just you admitting, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And asking Jesus if He would today just forgive you of your sins and cleanse you and come into your heart and make your heart His home. And if you do that, He's going to meet you today. You're here today and you've played the prodigal and, and you realize that. And you're, you need to be, you realize, man, I need to be, be done with this playing around. That today you would just call out to Jesus and say, Lord, I want to follow you afresh. I want to follow you with all of my heart. Maybe you're here as a believer and you've been sort of indifferent almost kind of like, you know, it's not my problem. 
or so caught up in all the horizontal that you've lost sight of what's important. You see, the Bible tells us when we see these things happening, to look up because our, re- our redemption draws near. Maybe right now you, you need to just confess to the Lord, Lord, I've been so distracted by the horizontal. Help me to keep my eyes on you. We're going to close our time today, and I really would encourage you to just stay here for another 10 minutes. We're going to close our time today with just bringing our hearts before the Lord in worship. We're going to sing a couple of songs, and I just want you right now to to just do a little inventory. What is my spiritual temperature today? What is my emotional temperature today in the midst of everything going on? May the Lord just minister to our hearts and show us what He wants us to be in each one of our spheres of influence. Let's go ahead and bring our hearts to Him in worship.